Hello, everyone. Today is Wednesday, December 1st, 2021, and welcome to this week's episode. You're going to love the show that I have for you today. It's with my amazing friend in real life and colleague in sexual medicine and women's health, Dr. Rachel Rubin. She is a board-certified urologist and practices in Washington, D.C. here in the United States. And we are going to do a two-part series with Dr. Rachel Rubin because she is such a fountain of information. And we are going to discuss in two parts what women need to know about men's health in midlife and at menopause and what women should know about men's health and sexual health in midlife. So we're going to look at this from both angles. I had a wonderful conversation with her and I know you're going to love it too. So without further ado, let's get into today's show. Welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to a new episode. I'm excited to say I have my good friend, Dr. Rachel Rubin, on the show today. We've been trying to do this for a really long time. She's a board-certified urologist and sexual medicine specialist. You got that right. She's a sexual medicine specialist, and boy, oh, boy, do we really need more of her and her kind. Um, She's an assistant clinical professor of urology at Georgetown University, and she has private practice in Washington, D.C. We're very, very happy to have you here today. Hi, Rachel. Hello, Dr. Hirsch. I'm so happy to be here. It's been way too long, and I'm a big listener and a huge fangirl, and I always listen to you in my car and say, I'm friends with her, and she's saying all of the things I say to my patients, and it's just amazing to watch you work. I think our friendship really budded over like, you know, obviously social media. Now we've met in real life, but just like almost subtweeting and tweeting like the same things that we finally just found each other. It's so true. It's like you're like my spirit animal. And, and when I hear you say things, I'm like, oh, I'm not the only person who says this. And it makes it validates so much of the things that I believe in, because I was like, she's a Harvard doctor and she says all the things that I say. And it just makes me so excited. Same for me, because, you know, we are a rare, small breed and hopefully we will I guess, reproduce and make more of us over time. But I totally agree. I feel the same, same way about you, girl. So today I'm going to just pick Dr. Rubin's brain here. And we wanted to do this episode today of, you know, what partners should know about the menopause experience. And then because Dr. Rubin also sees men, and she discusses sexual health and midlife with men, we thought we would also maybe break this into two different parts. And also um, for our female listeners, talk about what do women need to know about men's sexual health in midlife? Because that is a topic I have 1000% not talked about 
on the show because I have nothing to add. Um, so anyways, without further ado, I'm going to jump in and just ask you my first question. And we're going to start with, you know, in part one, focusing on what our partners uh, should know about midlife and menopause. And so if you were kind of think of this in three big buckets, like one, two, and three, what are the one, two, three things that you think partners should know? What do you think is the very first one or biggest one that we should just start off with? I think the biggest thing we can teach our, um, our female patients and they can then teach their uh, partners, whatever gender their partners are is biology, right? Biology, biology, biology. And I think we do a lot of talking about the psychosocial, the relationships, the communication, none of us are good at it, but we spend a lot of time talking about it, you know, how to talk about sex, how to, you know, re, re, ignite your sex life, how to, you know, do date night and, and get lingerie and buy toys. All of that needs to be done more, but we talk about it. What we don't spend a lot of time talking, which I love so much about the work that you do is the biology, the underlying biology behind all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And when I can teach patients and get out into the world that there is a biological thing that happens at menopause, when your ovaries stop producing estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, there is a biological change. And the reason it's so important is because it, it, it legitimizes all of the awful things that are happening in your body and the way that you feel, and it no longer makes you feel crazy. And when I can teach the biology, then I have a, a, a female patients and their partner saying, oh, thank God, I thought she just didn't find me attractive anymore, or I thought she was crazy, or I felt crazy. And, and it really legitimizes the, the experience that all of my patients are having. Isn't it nice? And how often do you have this scenario? Well, of course, it's a little different, you know, since the virus that shall not be named, but how often do you get couples together and how big of a difference do you think that that really, that really has? Meaning when I see how many couples do I see? Not couples that are both your patients, although that's a totally next level, right? But, you know, when you have uh, a female coming to you and her partner comes with you, whether it's a male or it's a female who's not yet gone through menopause, isn't that wonderful? Because you get to do that. The, the educating couples and partners and, um, and, and patients together is, is nothing short of miraculous. I had a patient actually recently where um, I've been treating her for pelvic pain for a long time. And her partner finally came and stood behind me while I was doing the exam. And, and anyone who knows me knows uh, if I do a female exam, she has a mirror and I give her a tour of her vulva and I teach everyone the same way. This is your labia majora. This is your labia minora. This is your clitoris. This is your clitoral hood. This is your vestibule. This is, and I show go step by step. And her partner was standing behind me and his chin was on the floor of like, uh, that would have been helpful for me to see three years ago, you know, to, because when someone has a problem, when their partner can see it with their eyeballs and really understand it, the conversation changes completely. The empathy changes completely. And it's this unbelievably powerful event. So I joked of, oh, I should start offering couples exams of like, you know, you do pre-marriage counseling. You could do a pre-marriage exam of these are the parts that you're working with. This is the penis. This is the scrotum. These are the testicles. This is the vulva. This is the clitoris. This is where, wow. I just think we could make a, we could make a huge practice just off that alone. Literally genius. 
you know, just going back to the basics. So is Jaws dropping on the floor? You know, did you think that experience really helped him and his partner so that they could take uh, her diagnosis and actually work through it together? Absolutely. I think, you know, especially when you, when menopause creates a such terrible genitourinary syndrome of menopause, which is not just vaginal dryness, but it's uh, uh, urinary tract infections and frequency and urgency and pelvic pain and all these terrible pain with sex, of course, happens when a partner can look at the tissue and see that it hurts to the touch, see that it's red, see that it's irritated. It's no longer, honey, do you not want to have intimate time with me because you don't like me anymore? It's no longer, right? The conversation changes around biology. And then, then you, you can find different ways to have intimacy and you can find different ways of healing, but also then the partner and the patient can really understand, okay, well, what are the treatment options available? Because if this is a medical problem, that means there are medical treatment options available. And then they discuss them in a way that's so much less um, scandalous or private. And when it comes to private parts that many people are very uncomfortable talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I like that in, in the sense that we're taking the we're making it, we're, we're making it not personal. Now sex is very personal. Um, but what you're saying with this first point here is when we focus on the biological changes, when we do that education, it takes away that pressure of like, Oh, I'm doing something wrong, or she doesn't want to be with me. It's really actually more of a medical biological change in hormone levels. I'm, I'm adding a little bit there, but I, I think you'd probably agree with me. And so I think that's, that's, I love how you just actually teach them all their, their private parts. It's very simple. Actually, I'll take it one step farther because as a urologist, this is something you may not be as familiar with, you know, in your line of work, but I'll tell all my you know male patients, I say, do you want to know what menopause feels like? I said, all we have to do is cut your testicles off, right? If we were to do that, and if you were to, God forbid, have metastatic prostate cancer, we create that testosterone-less life, right? We, t- we androgen deprive, we take away testosterone levels and guess what the side effects are? hot flashes, night sweats, brain fog, depression, osteopenia and porosis, cardiovascular disease, depression, suicide goes up, all of these low libido, erectile dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And as a, as a society, we are very in touch with feeling very badly for those men and wanting to find solutions to make it better. That's menopause, right? And we don't really do a great job of really saying, okay, that is a biological condition that doesn't feel so good. And maybe there are biological solutions, which of course you advocate for and uh, know um, all about them. Yeah. Yeah. So totally off topic. How do you teach your like three and five-year-olds to talk about private parts? I, I feel like the word private parts is probably like banned from your house. So it's a great point. I, and it's funny, I was just on a panel discussion uh, last night uh, after a, a one woman play about the life of Dr. Ruth, which was just an incredible uh, performance. Cool. And we were on a panel discussion afterwards, and that question came up of how do you talk about it? And actually, it was kind of interesting. There was something said at the conference we were just at together, the NAMS, North American Menopause Society conferences, 
Why do we bring up sexual health in the same conversation as we do smoking and drinking and drug use and other vices, right? When we're teaching our kids what not to do and what to be fearful of and what to is like, do not do this. This is private. This is uh, uh, never talked about. Those are all the things that teenagers want to do, right? They then get in trouble for doing. And so how do we create a conversation as to make it not so exciting and to make it sort of commonplace of sex is this thing everybody has. And uh, to some degree, whether it's with themselves or with a partner, and how do we make it really boring? Because if your grandparents are doing it, you're a lot less likely to think that it's cool and sexy, you know, to do. And then you'll do it when you're ready for the right reasons in the right way. And there's more of a healthy sort of attitude around it. And so I think there is a responsibility of pediatricians and, um, you know, someone brought up a very good point that in other, you know, European countries, they bring up sexual education from kindergarten on, and it's always very age, age appropriate and, uh, in the right way. And it's a slow progression of just make it a part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so in, in our house, you know, again, when my daughter was being potty trained, it was pee comes out of your urethra right? Uh, she has a vulva. Uh, she, I don't think she even knows the word vagina because we haven't really talked about it, but she says, mom, my vulva itches, or it's, I have pain in my vulva, but her vulva is no different than her arm or her leg. Right. right. Uh, and so I don't know that I'm doing the correct thing, but I think when you give words to things, then kids have conversations, they can have conversations about it. If they have questions about it and they don't feel shamed of like, this, yeah. is, this is the unmentionable part of your body. Right. No, definitely calling it a private part. is just literally saying this part of your body is taboo. It's your private part. Um, So very interesting. So, okay, back on topic. So your first thing that you mentioned was you want to really take the, um, the, the, uh, the, 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 Oh my gosh, I'm losing my train of thought. Biology. The first thing you said was you really want to bring it back to biology. Thank you. All right. What would be your, you know, second bucket of, of, you know, uh, education knowledge that a partner needs to know about a female going through menopause and midlife? I think again, it's the, um, communication piece, right. Mm. That, that I said that we do talk about, but it's the communication piece that I think it's really hard to talk about. It's hard to talk. Your body's changing. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It, it, your partner often has feeling bad or, or feeling guilty or feeling pressure, and it can be really overwhelming. And so that's where I find, you know, things like a sex therapist become so key, not because your relationship is bad, but actually it works when your relationship is good. good. When you can talk about everything and you parent well, and you have a good relationship and you really like each other, adding a sex therapist is a home run because they can make it. How do we make sex even more fun, even more exciting? How do we take this thing that we did at 19 in one way and say, okay, it's not going to look the way it looked at 19, but nothing in our life looks, we don't stay at the hostels we stayed at when we were 19. We don't, sure eat don't. The same, we don't stay at the, eat at the same crappy, you know, fast food joints that we ate when we were 19. So why can't sex evolve and look more fun? Why can't we use technology to make it more fun and more exciting? And so I think sex therapy is one of these underused resources to say, how do we make our next 40 years together, even more exciting and fun. And think of it as playtime because often as women, 
and, and I'm guilty of this myself, is it's work, 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 right? What can I do to make, you know, be more productive and do more? And you have so many things that you're in charge of that it's hard to just take that time and say, okay, I'm going to enjoy pleasure and enjoyment. And I, my pleasure is more important than my partners, than my children, than my other, than my patients, than everything. My pleasure is important. And so, and, and acting on that, and that may not look like sex for you. It may look like something else, but being, you know, a very clear in what gives you pleasure and enjoyment. Why is it that, or why do you think that when someone says even just sex therapy or, you know, says, uh, well, you know, I, I think we should go to sex therapy for their couple. There's like this immediate connotation that that means there is something wrong, that there's something bad, that they're, you know, sexless and doomed. Why do we do that to ourselves? Well, we, we really, it's a lack of education in what it really means. And I, I think actually changing the terminology has been helpful in terms of the word therapy makes people really uncomfortable. What, but when you present it almost like a coach, like we all hire consultants and coaches yeah. for everything. There's no sports team out there that doesn't have 12 coaches for one person, right? There is no, you know, business coaching is popular. We hire trainers to teach us how to do, you know, get a, a good arms and, and good abs and all those things. And so this idea that we're supposed to all come out of, um, you know, we're supposed to all be raised knowing exactly what kind of sex we want, what we want it to look like, how it should go. And then we add, we had terrible sex education. And then you add a partner and somehow you're supposed to know exactly what their buttons are and how they work. And you're supposed to inherently know all of that. And if you have questions, where do you go? Right. Pornography is not going to give you the answers. And so this idea that you come all the already programmed to know all of it is insanity. And so yeah. when you think of sex therapy, you know, I think we actually should change it a little bit to be more sex, uh, sex education, sex, sexual health, coaching, uh, sexual health consulting. Like, I think there's really a utility of how do I, right? Like as I'm building my new private practice, I'm hiring all sorts of coaches and consultants to say, well, how do I make this part of my practice better? And what can I do more efficiently? And what can I be better? Cause the day we stop trying to be better at something, I mean, then life gets boring. And so sex is often boring for people. They're doing it the same way every time, you know, in the same place at the same time. And it, you know, it, it can get a little bit stale. Mm -hmm. I think you're absolutely right. You know, I was just thinking about how my husband and I are thinking of like hiring in a better an accountant and like that would, you know, that's like, that's like a grown up thing to do. That's the right thing to do. Like hire someone to help you. Right. I'm not an expert at taxes. Um, I think that's brilliant. So we talked about anatomy. We talked about coaching and sexual health. So what would be your third and final you know, tip or thought process in what men should know about women going through menopause, being that you see men, whereas I do not? I think one of the most, and again, this goes on with biology and education is men. We expect men to come again, already programmed to know how your buttons work and to know what's happening. And I do a lot of teaching. I teach everyone who I meet and you could, should see me at cocktail parties and, and things like I had my uh, block party yesterday and I had neighbors coming up to me being like, so what should I do about X, Y, and Z? I'm like, all right, come here. Let me tell you. So, and I love that, that I'm that person that people feel comfortable sort of going to with some of these private issues. And so what I will say is 
some of the things that we think are true are actually not true at all. And so things like women are supposed to orgasm from penetration, wherever that came, whoever came up with that idea really should, it, it's just one of the worst myths to to be always, you know, out there. And so people will come and say, Oh, Dr. Rubin, I have a big problem. I can't orgasm with penetration. And I say, well, can you orgasm with clitoral stimulation? They say, yes. I say, great. You're normal. So it's 82% of women the same way. And it really, again, comes down to understanding anatomy and biology is the clitoris is nowhere near the vagina. And the clitoris is a very big organ. In fact, a penis is just an external clitoris that grew because of testosterone. So you could say a penis is a clitoris on steroids. Uh, that's steroid being testosterone. Mm -hmm. And so they work the same way. The problem is the clitoris is 90% internal, maybe more than 90% internal. So for my male patients, I will tell them, okay, guys, if your penis was totally buried inside your body, say you gained 500 pounds and your penis was totally buried inside your body, how would you have an orgasm? What would you, if you have nothing to hold on to, how are you going to have pleasure? Uh, you know, and they look at me like I'm crazy. I say, well, what about vibration, right? What about, you know, something that can get under your skin to get you to be stimulated? And they say, oh, maybe say that's why women love vibrators, not because you're not a great partner, not because you don't have good hands and mouth and, and, and penis, you know, and this is very heterosexual conversation, but, but it's because the clitoris is completely internal. And so normalizing things like devices and, um, and different ways to have sexual pleasure, right? If a man rubs the inside of his leg over and over, he's not going to have an orgasm. Well, it's near his penis, but it's not his actual penis. And so saying, teaching my male patients sort of about how the female body works I mean, I'll have 75 year old men who are like, oh my God, why did no one teach this to me? I can learn things. I can learn, you know, and there's just so much just bad information out there due to pornography, due to Hollywood thinking that orgasms just happen immediately. And I think that's a really important point to teach, not just men, but women too. Like, I think everybody needs to know that. And you also need to take ownership of your own pleasure of what gets you excited because partners often, you know, can't read your mind and they don't know what is going to work and mm -hmm. stop faking it. People, it's not worth it. You're only hurting yourself when you do things like that. Um, and we have to take our pleasure as seriously as our partners, because for every orgasm a man has, a woman has 66% the number of orgasms. So we have a big orgasm gap in the country. And I think if we fix the orgasm gap, we can fix the pay gap, right? We value ourselves less than uh, our, you know, male counterparts. And so we got to lean in a little bit, orgasm more, demand to be paid more and have more pleasure. Yeah. So it's a little bit separating fact from fiction, you know, mythical and mystery um, from, from real life scenarios and getting a little bit away from just like these old school things that we learn about, you know, women's bodies or um, men's bodies for that, for that um, matter. So I love that. So we talked about biology. We talked about counseling. We kind of talked about separating fact from fiction. And those are all wonderful, wonderful things. So I can't wait to get into part two. Thank you so much for joining me today. We're going to talk next week about what uh, women should know about men's midlife. Give us a little bit of a teaser, Dr. Rubin. Well, I'll give you the <laughs> teaser of what's good for your heart is good for your penis. Woohoo!
keep those uh, male partners alive. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I will leave links to where you can find more information about Dr. Ruman below in the show. Thank you for spending your time with me. If you love the show, please go ahead and give it a star review. I thank you in advance.